Hey everyone, you're listening to Beyond Recognition. It's been a while since the last episode came out, I got soaked by the routine, and just like everybody got into the holiday season helter-skelter. Quite a difficult one this year. I got quite a serious personal loss that kicked me back from doing this podcast, and what else? We have a few wonderful episodes coming out in January. If you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, my name is Dan and I'm a former music journalist, a professional publicist and your personal linguistic weirdo exploring the topics of creativity. And we're getting back to the episode 4. This one is quite a special one. This time around I won't be asking you to sign to our YouTube channel or Patreon page, though if you still want, the details are in the description. We are here today to help a person. My guest today is Nicholas Barker, drummer, composer, a virtuoso musician and a member of a large variety of acts associated with black metal, extreme and death metal. As some of you might know, Nick is currently suffering quite an extreme health condition due to the kidney failure. It's quite a widespread diagnosis and just like billions of people, Nick is surviving getting a dialysis treatment. A lot of people do help Nick. Thanks to my dear friend The Demolition Man for putting us in touch. Since I started my past as a music fan, I was amazed, for the lack of a better term, by the mutual aid in the metal and punk communities. And it seems to me that right now we can really feel it. Not only by people all over the place helping Nick making donations, but also setting up a large festival event to help the metalhead overcoming his issues. And I hope with this episode we could help Nick and get some attention to the situation of the extraordinary artist. So there is a GoFundMe campaign I would mention probably a dozen times going through this podcast, but please go through the link, make a donation, let's help the metalhead. And right now, fasten your seatbelt and get ready to hear my conversation with Nicholas Barker. I think what would worry most of our listeners is how do you feel yourself right now? Um, I feel really positive. Um, obviously, the dialysis treatment and the kidney failure is a huge, it's had a huge impact on my life, both professionally and personally. Um, you know, um, I spent my entire adult life as a professional musician touring the world, mm-hmm. you know, for, for 30, 30, for almost 33 years. And um, when my kidneys failed at Christmas time, you know, um, that, that all stopped immediately. And I had to undergo dialysis treatment three times a week um, until, well, until um, I can find a kidney donor and get a transplant. So it's um, it, it's taken a long time to come to terms with it and accept it. But, you know, at least I'm still alive. And the dialysis treatment is, that's what's keeping me alive. Without it, I would die. Yeah. So, as some of you might know, Nicholas is currently having some serious health issues, and we're here to help the true metal head. So, in the description to this video or the podcast episode, you would see the link leading to GoFundMe campaign where you can make a donation. So, Nick, could you please give us some insights? Like, what is your current program with the treatment? Because obviously, you mentioned the donor, right? Yeah, well, I have dialysis um every week monday wednesday and friday for four hours each time 
um, and it's um, it's sometimes it's very tough because sometimes you know it, it totally wipes me out. I'm, I'm fatigued all the time, you know, and I just feel tired constantly. Um, and then other times, it's not so bad, you know. I have energy, and you know, I'm, I'm I try to stay positive always, and uh, try to stay proactive. Um, I'm going to the gym um, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on a strict um, renal diet. There's certain things you can't eat anymore when um, you you have kidney failure. Um, so I'm working really hard and staying positive. Um, to, you know, the goal is to, you know, have a kidney transplant eventually. Yeah. Hopefully not too long in the future. Well, we all hope that everything would work out the best possible way for you. And obviously, while thinking about my questions knowing you and some having some of mutual connections i was thinking about this beauty of the metal community which is a typical thing for all the communities of course as a sociological factor but i think more than anywhere people from punk rock and metal community support each other and right now we can see how active they are helping you if, you know, I'm not talking about like making donations, but you know, even I was really amazed to discover like the festival that w really, you know, was set up to support you. Yeah, the, the, the support's been absolutely amazing. I'm really overwhelmed by this, uh, the love and support I got from the metal community, fans, and also um, fellow musicians, peers. And um, it really, it really opened my eyes to. You know just how much how much love people have for me and um, it's made the the support has made me more determined to um work hard you know lose the weight um go to the gym <laughs> you know and do everything positive to um you know make me eligible for a, an organ transplant Sure. And, you know, I think once again, that's a beautiful side because when you are touring your ass as you've been doing for, you know, quite a big part of your life, you obviously you meet the fans, but, you know, you don't have this necessarily personal connection. And right now, everything sort of became more personal for you. And you can see like how different individuals support you, which is like really, that's truly amazing. From my personal perspective, like how the community works and helps, not, you know, I'm not talking about like your difficult situation, but how everybody gets to help, like all the musicians, artists, their fans, peers, and so on. It's amazing. The, the, the response is overwhelming, and um, I'm truly humbled by everyone's um, support. And, you know, um, it's uh, sometimes, you know, it, it well, when I'm feeling down and sad and, you know, I kind of miss my old lifestyle touring and, you know, playing cons, playing live, um, you know, I just got to um, remember that, you know, I've got a lot of love and support out there and the dialysis treatment is, that's what's really keeping me alive. And um, I'm just staying positive and focused so I can, you know, work towards getting the transplant. It's uh, the response has been overwhelming. It's it's absolutely amazing, and it really, like what we're discussing right now, it really makes me think like how much these concepts shift and evolved, or, or, like since you've started playing, even in terms of like their definition. Like obviously, you became a well-known drummer in the nineties, but coming from the seventies and eighties, how do you 
How did you oversee the sense of the metal community? Um, well, I've always been into metal and rock since an early age. And um, my, uh, my stepfather, was he had great taste in music. He was a complete asshole, but he had great taste in music. <laughs> and, um, you know, so that's where my beginning started with the music. And uh, I started with rock and then got into heavy metal. And then as I became a teenager, that evolved into thrash metal and then death metal and then black metal. And um, the love um, throughout the whole genre and the subgenres is... You know, the metal community is one of the most loyal and strongest communities in the world, I think. When one of us is sick or needs help, you know, everyone comes together. There's a really overwhelming sense of unity and love within the metal scene, which um, I think is amazing. Yeah, that's true. But, like, do you think these days with the lack of tape trading, not that significant impact of the fanzines, but with the dominant role of the social media, it has changed. I mean, you know, I'm talking about like how these factors affected like the, the entire concept of like the community, specifically like the metal community. Like once again, from your perspective, I think, you know, like social media and, you know, um, music streaming, unfortunately, it's a necessary evil. That's where the industry is now. Um, you know, the diehards will always buy the hard copies, the CDs, the tapes, the vinyl. I mean, I think I think vinyl now is outsells every other format. Sure. You know, um, but um, you know, like I, I think I think the whole community has evolved with the technology and the times. You know, it's um you know, I hate I hate iTunes and Spotify because they don't treat the artists with respect in terms of you know, royalty rates, it's its absolutely uh, offensive and appalling. Um, you know, the, like the CEO of, of uh, Spotify is a billionaire. You know, but he doesn't pay the artists anything. You know, it's its its insulting. I think, yeah, the diehards, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm old school. So, you know, I, I'm from the tape trading days, the fanzine days, you know, and... Um, they're great memories, and it's part of the whole metal nostalgia trip. But I think um, I think the community like has evolved with the times. You know, I mean, um, fans are always going to buy the T-shirts at the concerts, and the diehards will always buy hard copies of the music. Streaming is just a convenience now. You know, it's it's just the way it is. It's unfortunate. You know, the technology and the music industry has gone this way, but you know, we have to. Roll with the times. Also, I notice this kind of kind of a big difference, right? Like how to define the true fans. That's you know that's a person who would probably overpay to get the licensed T-shirt. So a part of the sales would get to the artist versus you know buying something on the local market and you know print it in some sort of basement. Yeah, I mean you know um, there's so many. There's so many bootlegs now and, you know, people doing the DIY thing. In a way, it's it's good, though, that, you know, that your music is getting out there and your band and your name is getting out there regardless, you know, because it's any any promotion is good promotion. 
Sure, but you know, eventually you understand that metal music and punk rock can be a mass phenomenon outside of the subcultural sense. And when it starts getting a little bit outside, people really call it alternative rock, which happened when you yeah. firstly, you know, got the recognition with Cradle of Fields. So how did you react when these cultural changes started happening, when this shift happened? Um, well, you just have to roll with it, really. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's part of the evolutionary process, I suppose. As human beings and artists, you know, we all grow and evolve, you know, and that's the same with music, scenes, trends, you know, fashion, you know, it's, you just have to kind of go with it, whether you like it or not. Even though, if if we would think about, like, the mass market, obviously you understand that all the important bands that affected the 80s, you know, they came from, you know, major labels, you know, I'm I'm talking about like Death or Iron Maiden or, you know, all, all, the, all the important yeah. bands, you know, I'm not talking even about like Zeppelin and Sabbath who really got signed to major labels, but, you know, eventually like you understand that the music gets to the underground, which is why in the 80s and, you know, coming to 90s, we got artists like once again, Dark Throne, you know, I got cradle fills and so on so like how did you feel these changes once again coming from the underground and then you you got the chance to become a part of some new scene like something was happening in your life like what was your perception sitting behind the drum kit well i mean i've i've played i've played at all different levels i've played small club shows backyard parties um, arenas for, for open air festivals like I say you, you just kind of you kind of go with it you know it, it has ups and downs and you know you just have to accept you know one day it's this the next day it's something else I mean even even the black metal scene now is kind of kind of commercial if you compare it to 30 years ago you know in the early 90s when it was very underground and you know very uh, you know cloaked in infamy and controversy you know now it's i mean you know there's hollywood movies being made about black metal now you know it's um and how do you personally it, feel about this it's just evolved you know and it's you know when when something when when something is like um controversial or you know it you, you know the the, the government fears it, you know, most young people tend to be drawn to it. You know, there's a morbid curiosity. There, people are intrigued by controversy. and. But, you know, I think one of the biggest advantages of, once again, Lords of Chaos getting to mass recognition through Netflix is the fact that, like, a lot of people won't notice that these were some of the most brilliant musicians and composers. Even if, even if we would talk about Mayhem, we can take Freezing Moon as an example of a beautiful composition, like how iconic it is for these days and how interesting it was in in structural, you know, structural sense, textural, and so on. Like you, from your seat, you understand that how revolutionary were those things, even though there was this sort of moment of disguise attached to it, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, for the record, I, I absolutely love Mayhem. They're probably my favourite black metal band of all time. And um, I'm very good friends with the guys. Um, great guys, great musicians. Um, myself and uh, Hellhammer, Jan Axel, have uh, been friends for many years. And um, we text each other regularly. Um, you know, but when you look, when you look at like a Mayhem concert now, you know, there's way more people at a Mayhem concert today in 2023 than what they would have been in like 1990. Did you get the you chance know, um, to see Mayhem back in the days? Uh, the first time I got to see Mayhem was around 1997. Mm -hmm. So it was already, you know, sort of post Euronymous lineup. Yes, yeah, yeah. I never got to see them with Euronymous. Uh, um, you know, because I lived in England um, and, you know, they, they were in Norway. But when I, um, when, when I moved, when I moved to Norway to join Demoborgia, you know, I became friends with a lot of the black metal um, scene there, which was quite ironic because I remember Many people used to talk shit. Many of the Norwegian bands would talk shit about Cradle of Filth in interviews because we were the most popular band, but we weren't from Norway. <laughs> but then when I moved to Norway, you know, we actually became friends. You know, it's it, we, 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 we like the same things. We with the same people. We're just from a different culture. And, you know, Cradle of Filth, you know, that was... We, we were from the UK, so our music was very much influenced by, you know, English folklore, you know, the English bands, Sabbath being one, Iron Maiden, you know, King Diamond, Bathory. But yeah, it's, um, everything evolved, you know, and every, everyone's, every, I mean, even, even death metal and black metal kind of crossed over. Sure. You know, which I thought was amazing. But in the early 90s, you know, like the uh, the black metal elite from Scandinavia hated death metal. You know, they hated like the Florida sound and, you know, like the, the, the European death metal bands, you know, because it was too polished and too, too perfected, I suppose. But um, now it's all the same. I mean, you know, you see you see kids. You know, at festivals and concerts, they'll have their battle vests on, you know, and there'll be black metal bands, death metal bands, thrash metal bands, traditional heavy metal bands, power metal bands, all wearing the patches. I think metal is universal now. And I think the case, what you mentioned with Demi Borger and right now with Shining, is, is really an important one because you have two bands one of which you've been a part of, one of which you are a part of right now, with a different cultural background to yours. And I assume your conversations would be different even from the linguistic standpoint. So how do you like describe like being in these musical situations and how different it was, you know, versus let's say playing in Brugeria? Um I mean, you know, with, with Brugeria, you know, there's I, I I don't speak Spanish, but I understand it, <laughs> um, especially the bad words. <laughs> um, and with the, you know, with, with the black metal thing, with the Dimu coming from Norway, it was the same thing. You know, I kind of, I picked up 
the Norwegian language, so I could understand the, the, the concept of most conversations, but I would answer in English. Um, everybody speaks perfect English in Scandinavia anyway. Mm. You know, so it wasn't a problem. You know, we had a common interest, and that was the music. You know, we, we all felt the music, so any language barriers or cultural barriers would just dis disperse because, you know, we... Um, we were all so focused on the music and the same with Shining because I, you know, I, I, I have a primarily a black metal background. Um, doing any black metal project is quite natural for me, you know, like I understand the music immediately. So, um, it's, it's quite, it's a challenge, but it's still quite easy for me to adapt. And, ob and obviously, like a lot of the people forget about the fact that your musical journey is often a reaction political, social, cultural, and there's a kind of one way of looking at the things, meaning what did you bring to the project A or B, and, you know, quite a lot of projects you've been a part of were formed to a certain degree when you came in. So what it, what it was like for you to deal with these people in a different situations, having a certain basis of the musical language, which was formed by, you know, the previous records or rehearsals, and then you come in and you need to find your way to work on somehow. Like I said, the, 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 the music is the easy part for me because how I see, I, I see the music, like the riffs, as jigsaw pieces in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I can, I know that the, the, this piece will fit with this piece and that piece And that, that's how I see music in my head, as jigsaw pieces, you know, and um, I, I just arrange them in my, my head. And um, when I play, when I execute that on the drums, it just seems to work. And most of the time, the other musicians like my ideas and like my influence in the music. So um, I've been fortunate and lucky that way. Not every idea I have is the best idea, but, you know, that's... That's the whole point of being an artist, try, trial and error. And most of the time we all share the same vision and, you know, want to achieve the same goal. And there is also a process of search involved from your end, right? Obviously, like the way of putting your 10 cents in a certain musical situations might be different from just like, you know, all the projects would be different. Yeah, I mean, I'm been, I've been quite fortunate where most of the projects I've been involved in They kind of let me do my own thing. And most of the time it works out. They like my ideas. So it's, um, you know, it, it's very easy to work with other musicians and artists. Um, sometimes there'll be parts where they like, they request it to be a certain way and that's fine. But most of the time, um, you know, I'm, I have creative freedom with regards to the drums and, you know, and it, it seems to work out. So it's, it's, It's cool, you know, it's, it's, it's good. One of the most active things for you right now is Barstow, your hardcore band. And it was quite surprising yeah. for a lot of people who've been associating your name with Extreme Metal to discover this project. So how did it all happen? I love all music, Dan. Um, I love metal, thrash, death metal, black metal. I like old school hip-hop, I like outlaw country, I like 70s disco, 80s pop, 
good music is good music. It, 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 there's no boundaries or no, there's no limit for me. It, good music is good music. It's that simple. And um, I've always been a fan of punk and hardcore. And um, one of my all-time heroes is Jeff Hanneman from Slayer. Mm -hmm. And Jeff, Jeff was a punk. You know, he loved metal, but, you know, his heart, in his heart, he was a punk. I've always loved that kind of music, you know, because it's, aggr it's aggressive. It's it's basically how thrash metal was born. You know, it was a mixture of traditional heavy metal mixed with punk. And that's how thrash became a thing. Um, and when I was a kid, all of the thrash metal bands that I listened to, they were all into punk, you know. So I'd see pictures of Metallica wearing Discharge and GBH t-shirts or, you know, um, Slayer you know, wearing, you know, DRI T-shirts, Agnostic Front. I used to discover a lot of new bands and new genres, subgenres, um, through my peers and the music they were listening to. You know, a classic thing um, from when I was a kid in the 80s was, you know, you'd buy, you'd buy the vinyl from the record store and you'd just lie on the bed, lie on your bed in your bedroom, listening to the new record, and you'd study the artwork, read all the lyrics, and then... The thanks lists, there would be all of these bands you've never heard of before. Mm. So the, the next the next coming weeks, you would see those bands, you know, you would see the vinyl in the record store and you're like, oh, I'll check that out. You know, that's how I discovered new music. Sometimes it was a flop, you know, it wasn't always a success, but that's pretty much how I got into, you know, other bands and other music and other genres. And, um, I've always been a fan of punk and hardcore since I was a kid. And, um, it's important for me as a musician to um, play other styles. Um, I don't want to just be labeled as like a, a black metal drummer. You know, um, you know, at some point I'd like to do like some kind of like funk or prog thing, you know, with the right musicians. Um, but the, 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 the Borstal came about because I, I, I love punk and hardcore and I wanted to do something that reflected that, that taste in music that I like. I, th I think what you're talking about is quite a difficult challenge for a lot of artists of getting outside of the box because eventually you can think about like artists like Venom and you understand it's very difficult to imagine those people outside of the context of what they are doing with once again with my entire love to Venom Incorporated, you know, heads off to Demolition Man and Mantis. But still what you've done and what you've reached with your activity is quite a rare case of being associated with quite a large spectrum of extreme music, let's put it in this way. So it's a hell of a task. Um I don't think it's a hell of a task. It's um I just like exploring exploring new avenues and new genres and playing, you know, well, the greatest thing for me is playing with other musicians, you know, as many different musicians as possible. Because the more musician, different musicians you play with, the better musician you become yourself. And also you discover really unknown things about what you can do in a sense that these people would lead you up to different venues, different ideas, something you haven't thought of, really. That's something I discovered working with 
Mick Harris, even in a mental sense, because Mick is a really incredible person who would get you a different standpoint and put you in a position where you would see things in, in a different way. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Mick, Mick, Mick is a good, good guy. How did you feel discovering Nippon Des? Oh, uh, well, when I first heard Scum uh, back in 1987, it absolutely, like everybody, it absolutely blew my mind. Um, they were labelled as the fastest band in the world. <laughs> and as a young drummer, I was really intrigued to, you know, check this out. And yeah, it was, I mean, Napalm Death is, it's, it's they're pioneers. They're leaders, not followers. You know, they're um, innovators. They, 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 they pretty much, you know, um, you know, invented the grindcore. You know, and they, 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 the grindcore. Without Napalm Death, extreme music would be very different today. And you know, I'm asking about this specifically because we can't really imagine extreme music, specifically in the UK, without Eric. So you know, Napalm Death, Carcass, Godflesh, all these bands really in my opinion, got an effect on anything that, you know, was going on later on in the 90s, specifically, once again, to, you know, the effect of the things you've been doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a huge fan of all the earache uh, roster back in the um, late 80s, early 90s, you know, and uh, again, like, with the earache along with Peaceville, you know, Nuclear Blast, you know, um, those three labels really um, took extreme music to to the next level. Obviously, you you are primarily known as a black metal drummer, but when you get outside of these things, let's say with Barstow, obviously the tempo would be different and you have more space to work on and less complexity of your play. Like, how does it make you feel in a, in a compositional sense? Because obviously, these are, there are some things you, you might be doing most of the time that, you know, would eventually get into your comfort zone. So how do you feel getting outside of, of you know, this comfort zone and doing some, something in a different way? I like being out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, if you stay in your comfort zone, you, you can become quite complacent. You know, so I like the challenge of being out of my comfort zone. And um, that's why I love working with so many different musicians, because they tend to push me and take me out of my comfort zone. Uh, when we was when I was recording the Shining album in Sweden with Nicholas, mm -hmm. you know, he, he loved he, I was very fortunate. He loved all, all of the drums and the, the ideas that I had. He absolutely loved. But there was a few times where he was like, no, I want it like this a certain way. And he totally took me out of my comfort zone. And it takes a little while to adapt because, you know, it's something new and kind of alien to you in a sense. But um, it, it's so rewarding and challenging, you know, to be taken out of your comfort zone. And it makes you a better, makes you a better musician. You know, it, it, it opens your mind. So I, I, I actually, I, I prefer it, you know, um, working with musicians that take me out of the comfort zone because it's so easy just to you know do your thing and you know but for somebody to say no faster harder make it like this that's a challenge and I'll, i'm always up for a challenge 
And did you get back to these experiences, let's say, like, for example, I know that a lot of the artists who get through some artistic challenges, they never listen to what they've done. Um, I, when I record, when I record drums for a session, um, I, once I've done the recording, I kind of put it away for some months until I get the final mix and then I listen to it again. But, um, well, once I've recorded something, I don't really listen to it so many times because I'll start to pick it apart and, um, criticize it and, Oh, I could have done this part better, and I wish I would have played that like this now. And you know, so it once I've done it, I kind of leave it and then move on. And what obvious obvious question would be: What helped you, Nick, to remain so active over these decades of your career? Because obviously, you are one of you know one of very few musicians in extreme metal who has quite a big quite that big catalog of musical releases well music's my life like i i can't imagine being without music for one one day um and i'm very lucky and fortunate that i've got a lot of um musician friends you know in many bands and across different countries and so you know there's always there's always somebody that needs needs a drummer so like I, yeah, I just I, I live for music. Music is my life. It's in my heart, you know. And I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else but music. So, the whole kidney failure thing and my health issues right now is um, it's sometimes very hard to come to terms with because I miss playing and being on the road and you know traveling and being with you know like-minded artists, you know. But um. Yeah, um, I, I I live for music. Music is my life. And even though I'm sick right now, um, I still play drums almost every day. You know, I'm, um, I'm working on, um, I want to practice hard. So when I do finally get a new, the, the kidney transplant and I come back, there's going to be a, I want people to think, wow, you know, Barker's back, <laughs> you know. And uh, could you please give us some insights on like the ideas like you are working on right now? Is it just you know exercising, or there is like the new Boston material you are working on right now, or some ideas you might have for different projects? Well, um, right now the the Shining album's out, and so is the new Brewer album. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, I can't tour because of my uh, dialysis schedule. Um, also, we're in the process of uh, recording the first Borstal album. Um, Andy Sneep, the great producer, is a great friend. Andy Sneep has been helping us with the Borstal album. And, um, you know, so we're in the middle of doing that right now. And uh, we also, Borstal also have a, um, we, we're special guests on the Brewveria UK tour in next May. So, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's worked out well because the, the, the way that the tour schedule for the UK means that I can go home and have my dialysis treatment and then go back on tour. Mm -hmm. So it's worked out really good. It's, um, it's great, actually. It's, yeah, and that, that's really, to have a tour, um, even though it's only the UK, um, it, it's, 
such a big thing for me mentally, you know, like for my headspace, it's, it's really like a positive thing for me and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm just practicing like exercises, you know, feet and hands. Um, I play along to my favorite death metal, black metal songs, mm-hmm. you know, through the headphones just to keep my stamina up. Um, and I rehearse with um, Borstal, um, you know, at least once a month. And I also jam with some local musicians here, like some old school friends. You know, we, we have like a, a covers band thing, you know, which is fun and it keeps me busy. What I find truly difficult is that when you, once again, I'm talking, I'm speaking here purely about myself, like when you are in the music business, it's really difficult to stay objective. Even like, once again, if you are a musical journalist, you would be t- constantly analyzing everything you would hear from the Black Sabbath songs to, I don't know, George Michael, whatever else. And it like, how, how do you feel like about this specific musical situation where you can just do something for fun? I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I miss... I missed the touring schedule because that that was how I made a living. That that's how I pay my bills. Um, so, the the GoFundMe thing is really helping me out right now because, um, you know, like I have no, I, I have no income. So, um, that that's really helping me out a lot, and um, I really appreciate everyone donating to that. Uh, but yeah, playing for fun is that. Well, for me, even though being a musician, it's my day job. It's so much fun, and I love it so much. It doesn't feel like a job. You mm-hmm. know? It, it's it, it. My my work is my hobby as well. You know, and I love my work, so it's always fun. You know, it's it's not fun when you you know you 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 have like a ten hour delay at an airport or your equipment's gone missing, and you know it's the day of the show. But I mean, right now, I I would love. I, I would not complain at all, you know, if I was stuck in an airport for 10 hours. Sure. And, you know, there, there is also one interesting thing I came to about, you know, metal music, punk rock music, because all these people like you became professional musicians because they were fans, because of their talent and dedication, which is why I think besides some universal aspects of being a musician, the work ethic might be different. And sometimes it's really amazing, like how dedicated, how professional, in like not in a non-dogmatic sense, some of the people you might just you know came across in the music business are our mutual friend Shane Embry, who is you know one of the hardworking people I know, like one of the most hardworking people I know. He is, yeah, he is. He's uh, he works too hard, actually, if you ask me. Um, but uh, you know, I've always been focused and dedicated. This is what I've wanted to do with my life since I was a child. You know, I remember um, seeing Iron Maiden. I think it was Run to the Hills or Number of the Beast on top of the Pops in mm-hmm. 1982. You know, I was nine years old, and I just like that's what I want to do with my life. And it was the same at school, in high school, you know, when um, the careers officer, the careers teacher, you know, said, what do you want to do? Like, I want to be an engineer. I want to be an architect. I said, no, I, I want 
I want a career in the music industry. You know, and uh, that's, I've always, this is, that's, that's my focus. I've wanted that since I was a child. And I think if you're that focused and determined, um, you know, eventually all the hard work and sacrifice will pay off. You know, because I, I was prepared to leave home, um, move to move to a totally different country, sleep on the floor. You know, like you know, work at a gas station, just so I could make music. And what you know, did and, your uh, teacher at school told you when you mentioned that you want to be a musician? Oh, they they laughed at me because. <laughs> Um, the, the town where I'm from, Chesterfield, it's a very, very small minded working class kind of town, you know, so there's that working class mentality, like, you know, you, you're not allowed to have aspirations here, you know, you either work down the coal mine or you work in the steel foundry. Sure. And, um, you know, I said, no, that's not for me. I want to be a, I want to work in the, um, music industry and they kind of laughed and you know, ridiculed me and I told them to go and fuck themselves. <laughs> Even though, you know, like, because it's a, right now you understand. It's, a legitimate, it's a legitimate industry, so why can't I work in that industry, you know, because of where I'm from, that determines, you know, how I'm going to live. No, I, I, I left this place when I was 18 <laughs> to pursue music. And right now you, know, you understand only... how, like, that it is real. And, you know, another thing that is important to mention that most of, like, a lot of the great music, like the greatest artists, greatest singers, drummers, they came from the cities like Chesterfield, you know. You can simply take Cocteau Twins. Yeah, yeah, well, look at Birmingham. You know, a huge industrial town, you know, coal, coal mines and steel. You know, and um, not just heavy metal. I mean, you know, there's Black Sabbath, you know, Judas Priest, Napalm Death. Godflesh. You know, ELO. Yeah. Godflesh. You know, um, Duran Duran. You know, like the Birmingham is such a rich history of music and art. You know, it's, um, I think that that kind of environment it makes young artists more determined to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when you, when you come from those kind of places, you know, like parents and, you know, teachers and, you know, they're, oh, it's, you know, you, they, you're not allowed to have aspirations. You're not allowed to have dreams, you know, because it's not real. But it, it becomes so real when you make, you know, when you make a move to Norway, when, you know, nobody would truly think of, which is why, a lot of the people know you because you were the drummer who made that a hell of a journey in a different country with with a different cultural context. And to you, you know, you've, you've created some of the most memorable songs for, you know, for the genre. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, getting to our like initial topic of the conversation with the fact that obviously with your health issues and you understand it's not such a rare case. So maybe could you please give any advice to people who is listening to this podcast and experience similar health issues? What helps you to overcome things you are going through physically, mentally and so on? 
Well, the thing I would say to anyone that's going through um, chronic kidney disease or anything, any serious health issues is listen to your doctor, you know, and, um, you know, if your doctor is telling you to make lifestyle changes, then listen to him and, you know, because that's where I messed up. You know, um, I was, my doctors told me 10 years ago, hey, you need to slow down and you need to take care of better care and, you know, like the touring lifestyle, it's not healthy and, you know, you need to pay more attention to your health. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. You know, and it's then in the blink of an eye, 10 years has just passed and then I'm here where I am now. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're in your, when you're 20, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you, you think you're invincible. You think you're immortal. And obviously when you hit like mid 40s, 50 that's when you know you realize you're not immortal and you know you need to pay attention to what the professionals say regarding your health sure but i think for i think for me you know this had to happen to me to make me realize you know it, it, because i'm that's just the type that's my personality you know um oh i'm not sick i'll be fine but then you know I got sick and now I understand the seriousness of my health, you know, and how important it is. So this really had to happen for me to pay attention and to make the changes that needed to happen. Sure. But obviously, just like anybody who's listening to this podcast, we hope you would you would be fine and that your current program of treatment would wouldn't be as painful as, you know, what you described to me at the beginning of this conversation. Uh, getting to my last question for today, obviously, the new Brogeria album just came out, which is one of the longest, you know, projects you've been a part of. So how do you feel about this specific work of the band and what you've done, you know, once again, being the member since probably early 2000s? Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, late, late 90s. I mm -hmm. think 99 is when I joined. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the, the new album's more extreme than the last album. There's a lot more blast beats on it. And um, we even have like uh, Mariachi. Mm -hmm. Um, trumpet guy on it too so um is always fun you know it's um yeah it's 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 a lot of fun to be with those guys and um the music happens we, we the music actually write we write the music pretty quick you know once we get in the room together and we bounce ideas off of each other it, it's it comes together really quick you know but uh the magic is with the vocals Thank you. And I just want to thank everyone that supports me and, you know, um, everyone that follows my music. And, you know, I really appreciate all the support. It's uh, truly humbling. Sure. Thank you, everyone.